We have with us today Andrew Cole. Andrew is the driving force behind the upcoming on-demand film, hashtag no joke, starring names with the like of Sir Patrick Stewart, Slash, and more. It's a raw and open discussion of the film and bullying today, so if you feel this will affect you, please don't listen. We won't be offended if you skip this episode. Those that do listen, we will be covering very raw topics and discussions of issues covered in the film, as well as bullying. So welcome, Andrew, and thank you for giving up your time to chat with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on your show. First, Firstly, obviously, we we'll, want to touch on No Joke. Now, for those that haven't actually seen the film yet, because it is coming out on demand, and luckily, thanks to Andrew, we have had the chance to see it. It's a very raw, very emotional journey that really... Well, we can't really say spoilers, but without... It, it starts off with going by the trailer as it's a film about making a song, but it turns into something much more than that. Yeah, I mean, it, it for, for me, it was a very personal journey because obviously I was making a song, like a We Are The World song, uh, you know, to, to shed light on this epidemic of bullying and, and suicide within, you know, all different age groups. I mean, it's not just teens. Um but during my journey, the director, Manfred Becker, really wanted to take me into my own past. And not only, you know, in, <clears throat> I've been interviewing these great minds all around the world, uh, rock stars, just great minds, Yodas, gurus, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, his idea was to take me all the way back to England where I grew up and, and kind of go head to head with with my nemesis, which was my bully, Paul Blades. And... Um, and also talk about learned behavior and how I grew up and the attitude of my father and the behavior of the structure around me within my parents and just the ecosystem in which I grew up in. So it was very traumatic for me, actually, to, to go so deep and, and kind of explore myself uh, on camera with all, all the bits hanging out, you know. Um, and and that, that's kind of the film has, has turned into this kind of, expedition of going inside and and kind of relating with others uh, and and there's so many similarities to to what we all go through as, as humans uh, and i think that's why it very much hit home it like, like i was saying to andrew off it, it i was bawling at the latter end of it because there's so much that is relatable to me and because i don't think i've ever covered it on the podcast really but I was bullied all through school, primary school, high school, college. And when you see people like Sir Patrick Stewart saying, I was the bully. And it's not something that people just openly discuss or openly talk about. And there was so much of it, particularly with their childhood. Although in my, in my case, my grandmother was a very similar force of when you said oh maybe you said your dad was it was like really nice some of the time and then on the flick of a switch just like that could turn and turn into an absolute monster and I can't remember whether you said sociopathic or psychopathic but it's that's that's something that you know I've I've dealt with in you know my grandmother can literally go on a dime like that and go, you know, be really sweet 
and then turn around and just burn you down with comments. And it was it was something you know that's something that I've discussed with my psych as well, and it really tied into I believe what Easy Cowman was saying in the film of they see them I think they said they see themselves as a victim see them as a victim rather than a bully and I do do you agree with what Izzy said with that in that the bully feels like a victim rather than being a bully uh, absolutely I mean I think what this film has done is uh, I mean you would think you'd think when you do something like this that it would be Obviously, it was incredibly healing for me to listen to some of my heroes talk about their situations. But I also recognized the bully inside of me. And I think Jane Lynch put it right when she said she was so afraid of the bullies that she became one. And so I really kind of turned the camera onto myself, even when we weren't filming, even to this day, even to last night even to yesterday. Um, and I do have those traits of flicking off like a switch and learn behavior from my father. And I was trying to save myself from that because nobody wants to be around that. And it's, you, you don't want to be a, you know, you want to be a nice person, but you, you want to be a gentle person. You want to be love. And I've practiced in so many different dynamics that I can be the nicest person in the world. And then all of a sudden I go on a tirade and, um, I was trying to analyze why. And, and, and I think, yeah, I, I, he is right because I have felt like a victim. And when you feel like a victim, you become fearful and, and, and you get full of anxiety and that can really, you know, can transform into anger and insult very, very quickly. Um, so I've suffered with that myself. Um, and I'm not, the film didn't heal me. It just put me into a state of trying to become a better man. And, um, I'm still on that journey now and we're still continuing to not only interview people, but, you know, I'm talking to a lot of different friends, relatives, therapists, you name it to just try and become try and relearn the cognitive process of what I think I was subject to. Yeah, I think that's... When Jane was talking, that would really hit because I think there's this the general perception in Hollywood that she's just this nasty, mean bitch. But then when she talks like that, you see she's the complete opposite of it. But as yeah. you said, it's very much the fact <clears throat> of... Like you, like you said, where she kind of became the bully and uh, that wasn't, that didn't seem a direct like choice of hers. It's uh, something that had happened through her life. And I think that's, it's, it's a very confronting film in that fact, because like you said, it starts off going, yeah, you know, I've been in that position and then it completely turns it around and you, and goes, yeah, but you've likely also done this, and then you've got to take a good hard look at yourself and go, yeah, I have done that, whether you've intended to yeah. or not. 
at some point, most of us, however minimally, have ended up turning around and being the bully, which, you know, despite our best efforts in going through that. And there's, there's a moment towards the end of the film that was just heartbreaking, and Andrew and I know this scene I'm talking about, is when you went back to Warrington and you said, oh, I've been looking for the wrong person all along. And I think, I think that moment just, just broke me because I, when you went back and realised that you weren't looking for Paul Blades, you were looking to apologise for what you'd done. And I think that's the... Yeah. It's... That's why I think is that there needs to be, and on my my first message to Andrew last night was this: Why didn't I have this during school? When when you know, when I was being bullied, when I was going through all this, like why why wasn't there something like this going? Hey, it's okay that you're weird. It's okay that you're different. You know, and hearing all these people, you know, like. Like Motorhead and Sir Patrick Stewart, and you know all these different people saying, "Yeah, look, I've been there, or I've been the bully. I've experienced this. You know, I was picked on for this." Like it's, I feel it's something that needs to be shown in schools to go, "Hey, look, this is this is how." you come across as someone who's been bullied. But then this is also, to the bullies, this is also how you come across and take a, a good, hard look at yourself. It's an hour, so it's not going to take a big chunk out of anyone's life to watch. So I feel like it's something that should 100%, as very brutal and raw as it is, it needs to be something that is shown at schools and to educate both kids and adults, on this is the effect it has. This is the look we need to take a look at ourselves and both as a bully and as people that be have been bullied or are still being bullied, this is the discussion that needs to be had. I agree. I, I, I think it's very important. I, you know, People ask me all the time, how do you stop bullying? How do you end bullying or beat bullying? It's like, you know, it is a fact of life, unfortunately. It is. We are human beings. We do dabble. And that's what easy said, things. I think. Yeah. We, 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 you know, we're, we're complex creatures. We, we're very sensitive, complex creatures. And it comes a point when, in a bully's life, when it's, there's got to be a reason sometimes to stop. Sometimes the bully or the victim, which is the bully, I mean, we're all victims of hurt, which is why we lash out. It's just like a hedgehog that will curl up and show its spines if it feels threatened. I'm sure the hedgehog doesn't really want to stab you. I'm sure any animal in the animal kingdom doesn't really want to hurt you. They're just protecting themselves. But it's like, what, what does it take? Does it take losing... A girlfriend? Does it take losing a mother? Does it take not having any friends or being feared? Do you want to be feared? 
is you know there's, there's a lot of things that sometimes it snaps in someone's life and they go okay <clears throat> i don't want to be this way anymore or i don't want to be hurt anymore i want to be love and it sounds easy but it's not a comfortable situation to be in when you're bullying i i don't think i mean it doesn't feel nice so i think for someone to really take a i think every human being as a weekly or daily practice should take a look at themselves in the mirror and analyze themselves and become greater um, people in sports practice to become better and to try and attain perfection and i just think the human race needs to do the same thing in personality but to inspire that i just figured like the only people i looked up to when i was a kid was you know the people i admired and to hear that they had the same issues kind of really humanized mm. the concept so yeah and because i think i think that's this what a lot i don't know whether there's a lot of people just don't talk about it or you know try and point it out because there's a really good there's an unexpectedly good scene in the film where I can't remember. I don't think it was easy. It was someone else, where they were teaching kids how to react to a bully, and I'm going. I wish that was something that was taught when I was at school and being bullied. Yeah. Because yeah. you look at it and go, "Duh, of course, of course, of course, that's the right way to react." And that was that was told to me years after of a way of dealing with bullies and. I mean, when you really go through like eight to ten years of it, it's it's very draining. It's, I mean, for for college it was my size. For primary and high school, I imagine it's the fact that at that stage, underwear to us, I had Aspergers and I was different, and you know, I was a lot smarter than the rest of my class, and maybe that felt threatening to some, I don't know. And, you know, I, I repeatedly, you know, got hit, got knocked out several times. It's, you know, it's... But then when you looked at it from the other side of the film, there's also the fact of, you know, although I didn't do those exact things to other people, yeah, there's probably a higher chance that at some stage I in turn then inflicted a similar sort of hurt on someone else even if just verbally and it's something that you don't think about until you're confronted with that and i think that's something that the film really explores and that's like i said that's something that needs to be through the schools through even through workplaces and go hey look just because this has happened doesn't mean you need to do this and I think whether it's, you know, whether it's people like Izzy Cowan doing, you know, going into workplaces and talking through these sort of things and informing people about it because it's, and and I think the the film takes a really, it does go, it does go quite dark. I'll, I will say that for those listening that want to watch it. It's, I mean, there's, there's where you, you went back to your hotel room and, fully fell down the rabbit hole of watching what happened at, I believe it was Columbine. Yeah. Uh, Columbine shooting, which I didn't even, I wasn't even aware it happened. Uh, and 
yeah, there's a whole discussion there about gun control and everything from back in the 90s, I believe it was. But then there's also the question of why is that accessible as easily as you found it? For something to that effect in something in that detail... Like, I know it's, you know, it's a public record. It's, you know, something that's happened in the public eye. But for you to be able to find that with such ease online is also kind of concerning in that how can that not have a negative effect on someone that might be less stable than you? Uh, that, you know, no, that's, no. That, that's gone through, say, gone through similar things, but is psychologically not as stable who's to say that doesn't inspire them or and that, and then that begs the question of why is that so readily available whether that's in, just in America or whether that's just in general what and how can we step in and not so much stop but guide and educate people this is not the way to deal with either in, in is his, like as he said, the bully feeling like a victim. Where's this support of both, in, in this case for context and ease, easily understanding, where's the support for the bully and the bully's victim? Because it's very much, you know, I, I, I believe it was also mentioned in the film, is it's the anti-bullying's gone down the track of the anti-abduction, I believe it was, and it's very much gone by the wayside. There's very much a lack of... Yeah, it happens. Let's just leave it to law enforcement. And it really hit home when... when I can't remember who it was in the film. You might be able to remind me here. Someone said, Americans love punishment. As yeah, a, as I remember a, that. As a form of dealing with everything. <clears throat> and I think that was Barbara, Barbara Colorosso um, at Columbine. And, that, and that's 100% true. And that's 100% true in Australia as well. Like, you know, we love dishing out punishments. Does it work? No. It's, we need to be educating more on, you know, because, yeah, you know, I, I went... To, to give people context of where I was bullied, I was bullied at a Christian school. Now, you would think that would be the last place that, you know, although it would be a school, it would be mm. the last place that would be inherently massively covered by bullying. Like, I, I went to a Catholic college afterwards. Yes, still dealt with it, but it was far less than I got at the Adventist school, which is massively, massively... Alarm bell ringing because, like I said, that'd be the place you think you're safe, and you weren't. And yeah. that was, I've lost count of the amount that, you know, there was a good three or four in the space of the same year that just continuously did it. Yep, yeah, some people stood up for me very rarely, but it's it's a matter of, I mean, our our class was so out of touch and such chaos that they literally sat us down in a circle and goes, right, let's sort this out. And it was 
that was a different method of dealing with it rather than going, okay, you've got attention, you've got attention, you've got attention. But in saying that, they also suspended and I think expelled two or three from that class because it just wasn't working. And I think there's this lack of, whether it's be a religious or a public school or a private school, there needs to be better education around, okay, look, we could punish you for this, but we'd rather go show you, okay, this is why this isn't such a good thing. And, mm. I mean, like like you, there's that really beautiful but also heartbreaking moment towards the end of the film when you were back in Warrington with your friends and your one of your friends was saying that, you know, there was these people that bullied you and you spoke up and said, no, and I did too. And... I just broke then because I wasn't expecting, given the close relationship with the two of you, for you to say, yeah, I also did that. And, like, admit that because I think there's such a stigma and this is something that I think we've tried to put across before is there's such a stigma around humans and particularly men being weak. If they cry or if they're emotional or if they open up, and yet that moment, as heartbreaking as it was to your friend, I think in that moment she also appreciated, and I imagine you'd be able to tell me on this, she appreciated that you were open and honest with her about it. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's a terribly difficult thing because all she could remember was me kind of sticking up for her. And I think it took... I don't know. It's a, it's a complex thing. I mean, I did, I did join in with the mm. other bullies to create what I thought in my own fear was a social acceptance. I don't know what the right word is for it, but I uh, didn't want to look uncool. You know, I, I, had, I had no choice in my head. Otherwise I would have had it happen to me. So it was a selfish act. And I don't know whether that brought us closer together because I felt so bad afterwards that I became her protector. But that's all she could remember. It was kind of like Atish. He he didn't remember me bullying him either. He kind of laughed and said, "No, we were good friends. You were It's amazing how the bully if you choose love can sometimes the bully ends up being the best friend with the victim. Uh sometimes it's jealousy, it's a million things. It's weakness, but sometimes, you know, as I keep going back to, we all want to be adored and we all want to have love. So I just wanted to be really honest in this film because I hadn't been in my life and and it's a heavy cross to bear. Um, and I wanted to be honest with her and I wanted her to be free of her pain because she'd gone through so much. So, you know, yeah, it was, I, I didn't feel it. When I watch the film back, it's a lot heavier than when it happened because I, I guess I mentally kind of blacked out during that statement where I just, I didn't want any boundaries inside of me. I just wanted to be as transparent as possible. Yeah, and, and I think that's, uh, when, when you say about the blue gum, best friends with the victim, I think that's, I mean, I... There's very much times, and like you said, Artish doesn't remember it. And see, I'd, I imagine that that's also 
been the case with myself at some stage, uh, but, like, I I don't remember it, and, I mean, I had, I had a friend, and she knows who she is, um, but, like, she, she told me quite a few years back, once we were good friends, she was like, oh, do you remember when I tripped you down the stairs in kindergarten? I'm going, no. And apparently she was really, really mean to me during that time. But then now we're, she's one of my closest friends and I love her dearly. And she's, you know, we, we both have each other's back. And so, yes, that can happen. And maybe many years later. But there's quite often, like you, like you said, Arshish doesn't remember it happening. Your friend doesn't remember it happening. I don't remember it happening. And I, th- I think that's very much in the case of... It's a similar sort of thing in that maybe we do just block a lot of traumatic things out. I mean, I've, I've said to mum, you know, and because this is a... Just, you know, showing my age... I, I grew up when, you know, smacking with a wooden spring was fully acceptable. And I said to mum, you know, once, like, my nanny went into a nursing home and, you know, it was sort of freedom, I suppose. I was like, look, I don't, I know mum's, mum smacked me with a wooden spring when I was a kid. Do I remember it? No. But yet I can fully remember and visualise and feel every time my nan did it. And maybe that's because of everything else that came along with that. And maybe that's because mum didn't go excessively overboard. I don't know. It's And so, yeah, I'd, I'd say, yes, we can block some really traumatic things out, especially if we're dealing with a lot of other traumatic things at that time. And, mm. I mean, like, when, when your friend said, you know, I've got a family and kids now, and to think I couldn't have been here... I'm going, where's, where was that support? Like, there's this lack of support in general, both, you know, both in, both in Australia and I, from what I can tell, the UK and US, in that if people are struggling, yes, there's these, you know, there's the 1-800 number in the US and, you know, there's Lifeline and Beyond Blue in Australia. There's, you know, there's, there's helplines but there also needs to be some help in the local community area to go, hey, look, we've got your back. We'll help you get through this because as, and like, like I said, for those of you that, that are still listening there, Andrew's friend does mention self-harm and covering that up with tattoos. And that's something I've very seen prevalent, even amongst my friends is, and like, you know, I can't handle tattoos because of needles, but I'd be lying if I said I hadn't tried to self-harm before. And that's and that's when you get to a point, whether it's through depression or stress or also through bullying, which that, that pushed me quite a lot. And to very, then process that, that's where you need to have the support of your friends and... If you don't, there needs to be this support in the community to have that sort of, hey, we've got your back, you can get through this, we'll help you. Because, you know, whether whether it's people like Jane Lynch 
and like you said, it humanizes them. Because in the end, regardless of you know how popular they are, we're still all human. We still we still all struggle. It's and I know that's why you know people like Logic is is approaching that with his music, which you know that was that's that's probably why I really fell in love with his music is because he's actually dealing with these raw issues that a lot of musicians don't deal with. I think that's that's another reason why we jumped on the chance to talk to you about it because it's starting we're starting to see gradually, very gradually. And like like you said in the film, am I a joke to you because everyone's like, Oh, you're not the next fucking Bob Geldof. Like what are you what are you trying to fucking do? You you know, you're nobody. And yeah. I think I think that's this, and I was just going, that's exactly how I feel. Even with just, the, even with the podcast, you know, I'm, I, a lot of the times I think, I'm nobody, why am I doing this? And then I think oh, I was about 14 episodes in and Sean Colin Young, who's a, like, lucky to count as a dear friend, it was like, yes, but if you can even affect just the one person, what you're doing is really good. Even if one person hears it, that needs to hear it. And sometimes that's all we need is, yeah, you're doing the right thing. And I noticed that. I'm trying to remember who it was with your interview now. And I think it was Ozzy Osbourne. was like, and he was saying to him that everyone thinks you're a joke. They're going, why are you doing this? Like, what's yeah. the point? And... Ozzy was just nodding in agreement with everything you said. And I think people will often forget that a lot of these celebrities are human. Like, yes, they're popular and, you know, Hollywood paints them in a different light. And the paparazzi who also have a little spotlight in the film, they also, you know, they also paint in a different light. But then, you know, as shown with their Harrison Ford moment, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And I think yeah. a lot of people forget that whether it's whether it's celebrities, whether it's us, whether it's you know people in general, it's and and when he said about being about feeling compelled to fit into society, being angry at society, I fully felt that because it's yeah. it's it's very much that's exactly exactly how I feel. Yeah, I, I feel like that now and. Where did that come from for you? I mean, it came from a lot of places. It came from, uh, you know, traveling around and always being the, you know, the foreigner and then feeling foreign within my own structure in my family. Um, I always felt like a bit of a joke. I always felt like no one took me seriously. And I always felt like being, I always felt less than. So I always had like a chip on my shoulder. I mean, my dad made me feel less than. He would, you know, I would go to school and I would, I remember once I was in art class. I used to get scared of, I used to get scared at night of horror films and I was fascinated with horror films and scaring myself. And he would be up all night and he was a truck to get up and I was coming to the room and what's wrong now? Oh, well, I watched this film last night and it scared, scared the shit out of me and, 
you know, can I sleep in bed with you guys? And he'd be like, no, you know, stop being a baby, go to sleep. And then one day I went to art class and we were building old Victorian houses out of clay. And I built this house out of clay and made it all white with like old English Victorian wooden slats. And it, you know, I brought it home. It took me about a month to make this thing. And he threw it against the wall and it shattered into a thousand pieces. And he said, you know, making them fucking horror houses and you're trying to be a musician and you're doing all the art stuff and you're stupid and you should be doing maths and English and science and, you know, you're daft as a brush kind of thing. And so I always felt like really not good enough to really do anything. So, you know, if you combine that with trying to be in the music industry or the entertainment industry or even what you're doing where you're in the public eye, I mean, it's really difficult to stand on your own two feet and look in the mirror and be like, you know, what I have to say is human, or even if you want to write a song about fairies, it doesn't matter. The fact is, is that, you know, if you feel a, 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 a lack of self or a sense of self, it's really difficult to navigate the world. And when you're dealing with Instagram and Facebook and everyone trying to sort of pretend they're perfect and Photoshop the pictures and what have you, or whatever they do, or try and get as many followers as they can and kids are getting endorphins when they're getting likes on the internet and I mean it, it can really disturb you I mean it disturbs me now and I'm an older man I mean I'm in my 30s but I'm looking at young kids with like 15 million followers and I'm going well why don't I have 15 million followers maybe my music's shit you know and I look in the mirror and go well do you think it's shit and I'm like actually no I think my music's really good Otherwise, I wouldn't continue to make it, to be honest, because of the way I've been brought up. I mean, if I thought it was shit, I'd do something else. I think that but, that's hit, that hit home for me there with the Instagram part because I've put my I've started putting my photography up more and more and trying to share it across Instagram, and yet I'm still sitting at like 400 followers, and I did exactly that that thing. I'm going, is my work shit? I'm going. Well, it no, can put you up. It, can, it yeah. can make you give up. It can it can quickly. It can quickly make you go, uh, well, you know, just, just, I don't have enough love. I don't have enough love because the guy next to me or the girl next to me has 20,000 more followers than me. So really what you're doing is you're disrespecting the 400 followers that are following you who kind of like what you're doing. Mm. And, you know, maybe 100 of them don't even give a shit and they're just following you because they're nosy or maybe they hate you and they're following you. But what does it matter? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's all about self-belief. And a lot of the things that we don't do or we don't accomplish are things that we don't believe we could accomplish uh, or we weren't good enough to accomplish. And that's always been my biggest struggle. And that's the reason why I'm probably not, you know, a rock star with $20 million in my bank, maybe, or maybe a music shit. But I don't think it is. But I think a lot of my issues as a person and a lot of the reasons I haven't gone as far as uh, the stone could have been thrown is because I've been my own worst enemy. No one else has controlled me. I control me. I'm such a powerful person to myself. We all are. We're, we're so powerful to ourselves. We can't control the world, but we can definitely control. My hand is moving like this now. Left, right, left, right. I'm doing that. You're not doing it. So if I'm so powerful to be able to do anything, you know, I, I always used to laugh and joke and say, like, if you're in the middle of a conversation with someone, you could probably pick up a glass of water and throw it in their face. I mean, that's how powerful we are. We could do that. 
Now, if we could put in our head that we're brilliant and we're great, obviously without being arrogant or whatever mm. about it, but actually truly believing something that we do is is acceptable and we like it and there's a reason. And it might just be, listen, you might make music that sounds fucking horrible, right? But it makes you feel good. You might sing in the shower and never want anyone to hear you because you might sound like a dying cat. <laughs> yeah. But but that but that doesn't matter because if it's got a positive vibe to it and it makes you feel good, then there's no reason why you shouldn't do that. All right, rolling now. Yeah, lost me in the middle of a rant. Um, I mean, but you know, I, I do feel I am hard on myself, extremely hard on myself. I think that's another problem as well. I don't think human beings should be so hard on themselves. I think people, you can bully yourself, you know, and that can make you feel like shit. That can also make you feel like crap. You can seek perfection and bully yourself into submission. You can bully yourself into quitting something and you can bully yourself into giving up because the mind's so complex. You can tell yourself things that aren't true. Um, and we can blame it on learned behavior. And that's a huge factor, um, you know, to all those kids who've got parents that are angry and fighting all the time. And I mean, my mum and dad used to have proper fights, you know, like Ozzy said, uh, like real fights, like where I would be in the room, shit scared. And my mum would wake up the next morning and she'd have, you know, Freddy Krueger lines on her face and stuff, you know, I mean, it was proper vicious. And, um, and I went to a school once when I was 11 where the woman, the, the teacher wasn't happy with me, so she put my hand in the door and slammed the door on my hand and broke my nail. It's still, my nail's still broken and kind of deformed over it, you know. Um, so I always felt, I always still today, I ask people all the time, you know, are you mad at me? I always say that. Are you mad at me? I say that to my girlfriend all the time. It drives her crazy. She says, if you ask me that once, one more time, I'm going to be, I will be mad at you, you know. And I'm like, is everything all right? Are you okay? I always say, are you okay? Overly, it's like this thing I have. And I think that's a nervous thing that I've created through life where I just just wanted everyone to be okay because it wasn't, you know, I was always, I was brought up in chaos and chaos, if that's the way you were raised, it can feel comfortable in a way. You can, you can get a sense of comfort from chaos or fear and fear can become your friend. And then you kind of, you become addicted to it in a way, in a sick obsession to feeling sad same with depression, you know, I've dealt with depression and I've been addicted to feeling sad or writing sad songs instead of happy songs. And I always joked and said, oh, well, that's a Northern English thing. You know, that's like the Verve or Radiohead or Oasis. You know, we're all fucking moaning and dreary because it rains every day and all that. But really, it's, it's, it's not to do with rain. It's to do with our own internal rain that we create for ourselves. And I'm trying these days to just be positive and... and I mean, what a stupid statement. Be positive. It's such a blank statement. Like, oh, all right. Yeah, hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Okay, I'll be positive. It's not that easy. You know, we, we've all got different things, chemicals going on in our lives. And I'm paranoid all the time. You know, and I think everyone's out to get me sometimes. So and you destroy relationships with it or you become defensive or paranoid. So it is a constant thing. And I think listening to other people and being able to talk about something is very important because when you when you faced when you're faced with no one to talk about or talk to or you're alone and you really believe you're alone and you're suicidal and you're alone, 
it's a very scary place to be. It's a very, you really can make some terrible decisions. Uh, or you might not feel, you might not be able to feel, you might be numb. So you might, you know, pick something up, start cutting yourself with it or, or drinking or you might punch yourself in the head. You might, you might punch a wall. You might smash something. You, you might hit someone. There's a many forms. You might bite your nails down to the bone, like self-mutilization in, in, a, in a very minute capacity. And it's all, it's all part of the human condition. But we're very hard on ourselves. And, and we think, well, we're terrible people for doing that. Or we're not good enough. Or well, maybe we should. Well, no one loves us. So maybe we should just end it. Or maybe we should just pack our bags and leave home. And, I'm, and yeah. I, I'm here to tell you that that's not, that's not the truth. And, and there's always a way out. You know? And I mean, I've very much been there. And uh, when you said about, you know, asking people are they okay, that's, that's something I also do. Or I'll apologise every time. And they're like, you've got nothing to apologise for. I'm going, yeah, but I feel I do. Because I feel like I've said something wrong. And whether I have or not, it's, it's that feeling that, yeah, I've said something wrong. It's, and like, like you said, it's, it's part of the human condition, but it's something that we've, yeah, it's something that we've done or in this case not done. And yeah, sometimes you're in that mindset where you end up being, you know, resorting and feeling alone. And I mean, in your case, you said about punching a wall, uh, in my case, you know, I've, I've banged my head against the wall just to like feel something and it can go quite deep as to a lot of people just think self-harm is literally, you know, just cutting yourself. Sometimes it's different to that. Sometimes it is banging your head against the wall, hitting a wall or punching yourself or there's, there's a lot of different ways to it that I think a lot of people just don't realise but again because of the media in Hollywood it's literally defined as one particular way and it's not it's not always and I think there's there's the friends are like you know we, we will miss you and you're like but yeah will you and it does it does drive you a bit but then it, yeah also that's why I say we, we need to have more mental health support whether it's in the US or the UK or even in even in Hobart where I am, which I've I've made a solid point to many people and politicians that there's a lack of support. If we're if we're over twenty five and we're not teens, you're fucked here because I had to do a massive scramble to find a psychiatrist that was helpful with gender, helpful with LGBTQIA people, but also could deal with help with the issues that I had. And to try and yeah. find that was near impossible and took a lot, a lot of research that if anyone was functioning way less than I was, like, it, it could have ended it a lot, lot differently. And I think that's an issue, whether that's whether that's here, you know, in Tony, Tasmania, or whether it's in the US. There's, I think there's a lack of understanding I think that's why films like this, films like No Joke, need to be seen. Whether it's, you know, a public screening or, 
you know, a free screening, you know, backed by the equivalent of Beyond Blue in the US that deals with mental health and goes, hey, look, this this is the way that things would happen, but, you know, we're here to... We're here to support you, and I, I, I think one other quote in the film, very early on in the film, and such a damn good one from you, was, why do men who have power feel entitled to abuse women? And, I mean, that, that ties into what you said about your parents and your father, mm. and why why is it that whether, it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to grace them with the with their names on this because, you know, people know who they are in Hollywood. But why, and I know you asked the question and I'm curious to know your answer. Why, why do you think that men who do have power feel they're entitled to abuse women? I mean, whether it's your president or whether it's a Hollywood director. I mean, it's a good question. I, I still ask myself that question. I mean, I think, let me ask you this question because mm. I need help with this mm. before I answer that question. If you, you know, you're talking about self-mutilation or hurting yourself, cutting yourself, right? Mm. If you get, if you get upset and scared and you, and you're with your girlfriend, for example, or your boyfriend and you punch yourself in the head and it scares the shit out of them. Mm. Is that a form of abuse? That's a, that's a yeah, that's an equally good question. Because I I'm, I happen to think it is. I I happen to think that. I mean, look, if you're doing that, I think you definitely definitely need help with it. Mm. You know, you'd need. It's not a good thing. We know that we know right and wrong unless we're psychos. Mm. So if we so if we know it's not good and it's not conducive and it's going to hurt someone else and our head because it's going to hurt. If you punch mm. yourself in the head, it hurts. I've done it, really hurts. And like for a week after, you've got a big lump on your head. Not only do you look scary doing it, but you push people away that you love. So there's there's no positive to that. I think I think if you do something where there's no positive to it and you analyze. Because you have to any anything you do for me now these days you've got to kind of analyze it. Even if you go and have a piece of pizza, right? It's like what's the positive of that? Well, it tastes good, right? What's the negative? Well, it's loads of calories. But have you had ten pizzas today? No. All right. Well, maybe we're all right with a pizza. You know what I mean? Like that's a stupid analogy. But mm. if you're going to punch yourself in the head, what's the positives of that? I don't think there is any. There really isn't one. You know? Yeah. Okay. It makes you feel. But what if you went up to your girlfriend and said, you know, I'm thinking of punching myself in the head right now because I feel this bad. Maybe she will give you the tools you need with you together or a friend rather than you having to have punched yourself in the head, which is going to push that help away, push that person away. And by the way, some people might not push away. If you push, punch yourself in the head in front of Yoda or a healer, they might come towards you and help. But more often than not, People go away from you and help. So the reason I ask that is because you've asked me a question, which is a very serious question of why men feel that they have the right to abuse women. And it's like, you know, only two days ago, 
did I lose my girlfriend out of fear? You know what I mean? And I'm sitting here like kind of devastated and I'm thinking, well, God, what have I done? And when I say fear, I'm talking about running my mouth, saying things I don't believe, saying things I don't mean, self-deprecation, feeling like I'm not worthy, feeling like I'm not worth the relationship, just pushing a good person away until I win against myself. Like I literally beat myself. So I'm bullying myself. It's like, you don't deserve this person. What can you do to get rid of this perfect love? Well, there's many options. And so I'm analyzing that myself this week because I'm trying to become a better man. And I'm going, well, you're probably scared her, which is a form of abuse. You're doing a bully project. You're back. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. Because I lost you there, right? You're back? Yeah. Are we rolling again? Yeah. So what I'm trying to say, because it's very serious, very serious. I think it does, you know, I'm not, I'm not on, I'm not on the video here. I'm not talking to you all the way in Australia to bitch about how I lost my girlfriend. Mm. It's interesting. It's interesting as to why and how, yeah, and how and how you lose people in general and you lose yourself, and and it is all to do with abuse and bullying and fear, because a lot of it's fear, to be honest. And it's not what I was going to say before we got cut off is it's not like I people think bullying is um, I think I think what I'm trying to say is I think people think bullying and abuse or being rude is like calling your girlfriend a bitch or something or insulting her character or saying she's fat or something. But that's that's not all. You know, that's terrible. You should never do that. That's no. terrible. Um, but you know, if you turn around to someone who really loves you and you say you don't fucking love me, you know, nobody loves me. How could you love me? If you're really thinking in your head, if you don't love yourself, it's like the old Richard Ashcroft line, who's one of my favourite artists, and he goes, "If I don't know me, then I don't know you." Right? And and it's like. If you don't love yourself, it's pretty hard to love someone else. It's, it's kind of hard. I mean, you could try it. But if you're going to turn around to your girlfriend all the time and be like, you don't love me, or he hates me, or she hates me, you're just going to keep pushing people away. And at the end of the day, they might just turn around and go, you know what? I can't deal with this anymore. And then you lose them. And then it's the most, it's the most dangerous feeling in one's heart to feel such loss when you already feel alone. Mm. Because you did, because you didn't have yourself to begin with, and now you've lost someone you love. It's like a death, and it can paralyze you. So, I'm still trying to figure that question out. Sorry for the long answer, but it's like, why do men with power? I, I mean, I don't have any power. I'm not a powerful person. I'm a powerful mind. Uh, I'm not Jay Z. You know what I mean? Like, I can't. I'm not. Harvey Weinstein, I'm not a big Hollywood director, producer. I, I, I think, as Lemmy said, some men do it because they can. And it's as simple as that. I think they, they yeah. can. I was just thinking and women, saying that. Women yeah. can do it. Women, women can do it too. I've, I had mm. an incident in Hollywood. 
I had one of the biggest meetings of my life in music. It was going to change my life. It was going to change my life. I know it was. I feel it. I had the biggest meeting with the biggest manager in Hollywood. And the woman who set it up took me out to a concert. And when she drove me home, she said, do you want to have a cup of tea so we can talk about the meeting? And I went in her house and had a cup of tea. And she came on to me. And I said, sorry, it's very flattering, but, you know, I'm taken. I, I, I'm i not interested, but you're a lovely person and everything. But I think you got me wrong. I said, I'm sorry if I came across any other, dif- you know, any different or any other way. But and I was really polite about it. And the next morning, you know, she phoned me and told me to go fuck myself. And she canceled all the meetings. And she said, you're not going to go and meet that guy anymore. So it was never about my music. And, and that made me feel bad about my art as well and about the fact that I didn't maybe sleep with someone to forward my career. But, like, some people do that as well. And some people are okay with that, by the way. And some people really, really are not okay with it. And the pressures of this industry and life and money, and not even this industry, it could be any industry. It could be any industry. You could have two kids. could be a single mother. And you could feel completely trapped. I mean, every situation is different, right? So I'm not here to point the finger. I'm just saying that men do it because they can. Yeah, I think and that really explains, particularly the yeah, why he's saying that. I was thinking, well, who is, how, do you, how do you explain the president doing what he does? And I think that's exactly the answer because they feel they can with no consequences. And I, I mean, that, that sums up a whole lot, but that's a whole other podcast. But it does really sum up, you know, a lot of the explanations is because they feel they can with no consequences. And quite often there are no consequences. I mean, we, we, we saw what happened, you know. Tate came out fully, you know, oh, you can do this because you're famous. And then you get elected president. And so visibly to anyone else who thinks they can get away with it hey look there's no consequences and so that 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 doesn't help when it comes to you know someone not famous you know say you know like you or i you know as as you said in the film you know nobodies you know and to that extent some that helps people that are nobodies feel like yeah i can do that look they got away with it i can get away with it too so, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I used I used to work in a call center. I used to work in a call center in Manchester, England, mm. uh, selling answer machines and services on on a on a network, you know, phone service network, British Telecom. And we had a boss who was a big shot, and he was massive, and he had a better car than us, and he had the greatest spot in the car park, uh, and he was nice suit, big belly, full of food. Happy as Larry, nice looking wife, and he was, he was the man, and he would push everyone around, you know, because he was entitled, because he had the power. He he made he called the shots as to whether you were coming into work next week, and you know most of the time you just had to agree with him. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get a job, you wouldn't come to work, you wouldn't get a shift. So it's not just celebrities and big time. I mean, obviously it's in every. I mean, you could be a you could be a 
you can do anything. There's always someone going to be higher than you, maybe sociopathic or narcissistic about their own self. Mm. It's always going to happen. It's never going to go away. It's how we deal with it that's the important thing. That's the solution. The solution is the self-defense of the mind. The solution is not to point the finger and say, well, can you believe that? Well, yeah. Can you believe someone's going to get murdered in the next month on planet Earth? Yeah, probably. Uh, I think if I go down a dark alley, I'm going to hope that I've got some of the tools for that not to happen. I mean, it might happen, but I could probably run really fast or if I was too concerned about it, I could go for self-defense lessons or karate or whatever. Well, where's the karate of the mind? You know, where are kids mm. being taught? Where are kids being taught to dig themselves out psychologically while being berated or, you know, and there's always a way to win. I think the most successful people on planet Earth are always the most intelligent. It's, they're not the richest. They're not the most privileged. They're the most intelligent. They're the ones who can talk to the narcissistic boss and get what they want with kindness and understanding his narcissism. You know, if you if you understand someone's a narcissist and you understand what a narcissist is or a bully is, then you can navigate that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can and it, and it's kind of fun. It should be a fun exercise for kids. They play games. I play games. Uh, computer games, whatever. I mean, that's a lie. I haven't played a computer game in <laughs> fucking 10 years. But my point is, yeah. my point is, when I did play a game, or I'm into games, my own games, uh, or you do the crossword puzzle, or whatever the fuck people do, you get an endorphin out of using your mind. It's a strategy. It's a strategy. And if you can strategize life, if I if I had if I had the knowledge of what I know now, Paul Blades wouldn't have had anything on me. My dad, yeah. Totally. He's my dad. Mm. I love him. He's supposed to love me. He's my dad. Don't knock my mum about because you're gonna piss me off. You're gonna hurt me. I'm gonna be too small to stand up for myself or my mum. And my mum was too scared of you, so she's not gonna stand up for me, otherwise you're gonna hit her again. So that's going to hurt me. But if you're just some like, you know, kid that's got issues and scared and you're taking out abuse on me and saying you're going to kill me at school and stuff. If I went back in a time machine and Doc and Marty put me in a car and drove me to 1992, I'd be fine. Honest to God, I'd be fine fine no one was going to kill me they were never going to kill me i'd have a nice chat and i'd know exactly what to say to break down their fortress of pain mm. and they'd be my mates and they probably wouldn't bully anyone else either i don't know what i'd do about my dad because unfortunately he died before i could find out what his problem was mm. but through learn through learning about this topic and learning about different psychological issues um, you know, we all know about them. We don't have to name them all. Um, some people are chemically imbalanced and need medication. And some people are emotionally imbalanced from learned behavior and they need love and teaching. So I probably could have had a good crack at 
fixing my dad a bit as well, actually, to be honest. Could have had a good chat with him calmly and said, listen, what do you need? What are you scared of? What's the problem? What happened to you? You're doing it to, you're doing it to them. I've done stuff that happened to me to others. I did it last week. I told you I lost my girlfriend. You can't be like me. Don't lose things that you love by giving pain to yourself because that's normally what you're doing. I don't think a bully is like getting a kick out of bullying. I think they're hurting and they feel like a victim. I don't I don't think they're they're like, "Oh, this feels great to like grab a kid's backpack and like throw it in a pond with all his books in it." You know, and then they go home and they're like all excited and like, "Wow, that was amazing what I just did. That was great." Mm. I don't think so. I don't think they're doing that. It's directed anger. I think yeah, I think so. So I mean, that's how I think we end the, I mean, you're never going to end the epidemic. You can only, as I say, heal it. And that's not me being like, um, I'm not trying to be negative or like, I, I just, it always disturbs me when these different charities are like, we're going to end bullying. I mean, you're not going to change the human race. I think that's what easy said. Maybe. Yeah. Is like, it's not, I think he said something along the lines of it's, uh, and you might be able to remember it better. Uh, he pretty much said something along the lines of that is it's, you can't end it. No, it's something that's always going to happen, regardless. Well, this, well, just as sure as the sun is going to rise and fall. I mean, it's 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 a human condition. Yeah. We are scared. We get scared. We get hurt. Then we become victims. Every fight I ever had with my ex, who I hope is not my ex, because I'm going to try and fix myself. And, you know, you can win. Things aren't always over. Things mm. aren't always over either. And people always think they are. Oh, that's the end of it. Oh, fuck. Let's just jump off a bridge. You know, sometimes they need a hug. You know, you look at, look at like, some of my heroes, like uh, Chris Cornell or Anthony Bourdain. I love Food Network shows. I love cooking shows. I love that stuff. You know, you're talking about the, one of the wisest people on the earth, one of the greatest singer-songwriters on earth, Robin Williams, people who are like sad all their lives and give so much joy and happiness to the world. And then one minute they're on their own in the, in the ultimate moment of sadness and weakness and something bad happens. I mean, that was, that was a recent one that came to the front of Australian sport with the, for the Australian listeners, Danny Frawley, who Australian, exactly. rules, Australian rules footballer, how do you, you know, I was on a wildly successful Fox show bounce, like, you know, massively adored, massively loved, and from all accounts, ended up taking his own life and smashing into a tree. And like you said, in a moment of darkness where, because there's, again, this stigma of guys have to be tough, they can't talk about their feelings, they're weak if they cry, like, that's why I openly will say, hey, you know, I cry. That's, you know, although I'm non-binary, but still, it's, that's why, I was, you know, it's it's fine to cry whether, whether you're male, female, non-binary, or whatever. It's, it's, you're human. It's not weak if you cry. I, I don't know where I cry a lot. Tell you what, I cry, I cry a lot. And people always say yeah. to me, I, I mean... I'm around, it's funny, isn't it, in my industry? 
was I going to say? Like, you know, you're around great minds. I, I'm fortunate enough to be around cool bands and singer-songwriters that I aspire to be like. And they always say to me, write a song about it, man. Write a song about it. And sometimes you can write a song about it. Sometimes you can reflect months after. And sometimes you can understand things and put it into words. And sometimes while you're weeping over a guitar, you're writing a song. And sometimes you're so sad that you have nothing to say but everything to say all at the same time. Sometimes it's like lately, like the last week I had was one of the saddest weeks of my life. And I haven't written like much, to be honest. I haven't been able to. I've just been talking to myself and going for help, talking to friends, texting friends. I've cried on the phone to grown men. I'm all right with it. Mm. It's cathartic. It's a feeling. We, we also cry, by the way, when we're extremely happy. Yeah, and that's never been stigmatized as weak. So it's right. Like, it's so like, it's the body. It's a thing yeah. that the body does. It's a thing that mm. the body does. It's a human body. So I, I think if you are in doubt and you are in a dark place, and I'm not telling people what to do, but you know, I've always found that it's not annoying your friends. You might text four friends. You might be in Hollywood. It's the worst place to be, and people just don't want to deal with your shit because they're having a great day, and it's like, oh, you'll be fine, man. Oh, what are you crying for? Everything's fine. I mean, maybe that's not the right person to talk to, but yeah. after after five or ten phone calls, you you might find someone who can relate or lets you have the cry, and maybe they'll cry with you. Or maybe there's nobody, and you've got to go out for a walk and just stop a stranger on the street. I've, listen, I've talked to people on, on trains, and I'd, some of the greatest advice I've ever had has not been from celebrities or icons. It's been from people I don't even know. Or people who've just seen my sadness and had the heart to say, hey, are you okay? So you've got to get out there. You know, I don't think it's cool to have tunnel vision and sit, sit in a squalor of a cave of sadness. You know, if you're trying to stop people from killing themselves, I mean, that's what's always helped me. And it's funny, when, we, when we're sad and we're suicidal, we want to run. We want to be alone. Mm. And then there's, there's people that say, I'm going to kill myself because of this, and they vocalize it. And sometimes they never do because they, they want the, they, they're reaching out, they're crying out saying, I need something, I need help. And then people who really kill themselves more often than not, unfortunately, they don't really tell anyone about it. They just do it. Yeah, such as, such as the examples we mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's... And, and that's hard to stop. That's hard yeah. to, you know, for the wives, for the wives and the families of those who've fallen... I mean, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that, and I and I feel for them yeah. because that's that's a very difficult. I don't know what that's like, so I'm I can't get too deep mm. into it because I don't want to sound like, you know, domineering on the subject. But I do think about it a lot, and and I do think about the guilt that they must have. Like, why didn't I, I see about, this? Why didn't I know? Well, I feel the guilt when I've said when I've said to people, "Oh, that's it. I've had enough. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna go play with the buses, or I'm gonna run into the street, or something stupid, or you know, whatever it may be." I've seen the reaction on the loved ones around me of the feeling of helplessness. Like, what are we gonna do? Tie him to a wall so he can't hurt himself? Take him to the doctors? Take him to a hospital? Keep surveillance on him for 24 hours a day? You know, what do you do in that situation? 
it's very it's a, it's a it's a real feeling of hopelessness and and powerless you you're kind of powerless so you know that's why i'm so kind of i've committed my life you know obviously i'm a musician and i'm doing that because you've got to you got to live your life but my life has now been devoted into this quest to help others and and help myself you know i'm still i'm not fixed i'm not sitting here on the phone like everyone be like me uh you know I, i'm not a talk show host i'm just a normal guy with the same issues as everyone else and i'm trying to i'm you know this conversation itself is helping me you know this is cathartic this is a healing conversation so I hope people get healing out of it, or maybe it's just interesting. And and if they, maybe they just listen to it. Maybe they know someone who needs to have a conversation, and maybe they haven't reached out to that person. Not, there's also nothing wrong with picking up the phone, and being kind of outward, and t- turn around to someone and saying, "Hey, you know, do you want to have a chat about something? Something bothering you?" I think the human race has become so, kind of with with the internet, with Instagram and Facebook. You know, and some people aren't on Instagram and they're not on Facebook, which is I joke and say, oh, wow, you're a better man than I am. I wish I could do that. You know, I think it's become a very narcissistic planet. Mm-hmm. And I think people are really, really interested in, the, in their in their selves. It's a very selfish place right now. Is there a release date for No Joke On Demand yet? Well, no joke on demand came out on October twenty second, so it, it yeah. is available. I don't, I don't know if it's available in in, in Australia. I, 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 one could hope. Uh, you'd have to check that out. But if not, I'm sure it will be very soon. Um, but it did come out on the twenty second of October. I did tweet Stan um, last night saying, "Please, please, try and get it." Uh, so ho- hopefully, Stan will might reach out to you and try and air it here because they 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 will pick up that sort of thing generally and make it accessible to everyone so so fingers crossed if if not hopefully itunes or google play maybe um yeah yeah i would well i would hope so i mean i'm sure i'm sure it will and uh, i would like obviously people to get what they can from it but the song itself and the interviews will be coming out um in the new year and i'll give you an update on that probably around earth day we're going to finish off some vocals there are a lot of people coming to the march, and if there's any Australian singers or creators that want to be involved, you know, obviously we're open to getting the whole world on this thing. Um, there's a, a lot of talent on this song at the moment, and you know, yeah, the song's great, and I hope the song does a lot of good. But I'm also interested in people seeing these uncut, exposed interviews, the whole interview from Sir Patrick Stewart, for example. Mm. Very healing, very healing interview. I mean, you, you, we couldn't have a six-hour movie, so of course you're only going to see little snippets from these people. But you know, I remember saying to Ozzy, you know, do you love yourself? And I said the same thing to Sharon, and they both said the same thing back. We're working on it, and I think that's all you can do is work on loving yourself because that's the most important thing in life. And that that sounds like the perfect place to to wrap it up. There is. The best, the best thing you can try and do is start to love yourself. Yeah, it's as, it's as simple and as complicated as that. <laughs> and as as Andrew mentioned, it for those in America, no joke is out now, and highly recommend. Please do watch it. Please don't watch it if you're in a really negative or a bad mindset. 
it, it is a very heavy fuel. So watch it when you're in a good, when you're in a relatively good and comfortable mindset, or watch it with watch it with friends. So you've got some support with you. It's something that really, really needs to be watched by everyone. Because even if we can just change one life, and that's like I mentioned when Sean mentioned that to me, if we can just impact one person that needed to hear this, then great. That's that's exactly my hope is that if it can affect just one person, then that then that's really our job done. So th- thank you once again for giving up your time and chat with us, Andrew. Oh, what a pleasure! I've been You're such an inspiring, inspiring, very inspiring man. I, I really enjoyed this phone call. I've, Helped me out a lot. I've been your host, TJ, alongside Andrew Cole, and we'll see you in the next episode.